and welcome to episode number 223 of Artificial Turf Wars, where the real winners were the friends we made along the way. And that's you, listeners. Uh, and I am so happy tonight because I am able to bring to you both the wonderful Nick Dyka. Nick? Hey, hey, how's it going? It's going, it's going wonderful. And the warped Joshua Housem. What's happening, <laughs> Josh? <laughs> Uh, not much is doing this but that's an interesting intro you just gave me there <laughs> i gotta give you like 50 intros a year somewhere in the neighborhood 40 to 50 a year i i'm i'm tapped out it's the end of the season i got nothing left except this big bag full of awards uh so why don't we get right into it gentlemen uh i'm i've, I've got you both here i have an easy gimme to start us off we have uh we have player we most enjoyed watching because I don't think there are wrong answers, but I will start with you, Josh. Who was your player you most enjoyed? I mean, I went with Vlad just because obviously like the production was unreal, right? That, that doesn't even really need to be said, but I love that. I love his swing. I love the power behind it. So I just really enjoy it. Like when he hits a bomb, it's fun to watch. There are certain players around the league that, have a swing that when they connect, it just looks great. And he's one of them. He's probably the only one on the team, I think, that really fits that description. But and then just all the energy and the smiles and you know the hopping around behind Adam Simber is just I, I just <laughs> loved it. And when he was imitating Romano's squat when he was still doing that, it's uh, just he just seemed to have so much fun on the field. Hard to deny. Um again, it's subjective. But Nick, did you your pick is a little different? Uh, yeah, well, I picked George Springer um, because, you know, he's one of those guys. He plays really aggressively in the outfield, which I know that's probably not good if he lands on the DL, but it is really fun to watch him make these like acrobatic catches. Um, you know, he's always dancing in the dugout and staying positive, kind of a lot like the things Josh loves about Vlad. And um, yeah, I think he really did seem to be somewhat of a leader on the team uh, as, as you know, as far as somebody watching games on TV can tell. Uh, so I, I really like George Springer. He's, he's really fun to watch. He hit well. And um, yeah. I, I like watching George dance because I felt like he was doing it for himself. Some, some guys dance oh, yeah. for an audience, but I think George is just out there vibing, which, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, my pick for player I most enjoyed because I knew you guys were going to pick, you know, somewhere the uh, obvious was, I would say Bo Bichette. Uh, because he plays like he, his hair is on fire, which is to his detriment on defense. And I will not pretend I really enjoyed the defense. Um, but a swing that follows his rules and a, uh, a base running style that follows his rules. Um, yeah, he that sort of uh, that kinetic energy that he played with, I enjoy a lot. Not to say I don't enjoy Vlad or Springer or a whole bunch of other players on this team. Because it, it is tough to narrow it down to one. So... Uh, we got the tough one out of the way. Now we'll go for the, the really tough. Uh, sorry, tough. We got the easy one out of the way is what I was trying to say. <laughs> I advertise it is an easy one. Who do we least enjoy watching, Nick? Who who was the nails on the chalkboard of 2021? <laughs> well, I've, I don't like kicking people when they're down, but it was really watched, tough watching Tyler Chatwood. Uh, anytime you have to watch a pitcher that's struggling to get control of the zone, uh, it, it's, it's pretty painful. And, you know, when the Jays were kind of losing their grip on winnable games, that combination of just losing the games and Chatwood not being able to throw strikes made it really hard for me to watch him. Even though uh, you wouldn't have taken him out of that game. <laughs> he had no options. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. I, I'm all, I'm going to kick someone else who's down because that's what not enjoying things is about. I'm going to kick Tanner Roark, who, uh, I mean, I've never been so happy to see someone out of the starting rotation, I think, in, in a season where the team had a chance to be good. I mean, the, there have been a lot of guys who've been in and out of the starting rotation um, in some of the, the leaner years. But in this season, it was agony for me to watch Tanner Roark uh, get fired up and get into a game ever. Um, just too much, too slow, and too too poor quality of pitching. I have a, a, f- a fun fact about Tanner Roark this year. He had sure. the same ERA as he did strikeouts per nine innings uh, <laughs> at 6.43. There's no scenario where yeah, that's I good. Say, there <laughs> isn't. That's like the, the definition of two stats that you do not ever want to line up. Um, okay, Josh, uh, because we like alliteration, presumably, you also picked a pitcher with T's in his name. Yeah, it's not quite alliterative, though, because it's Trent Thornton. But yeah, mm-hmm. the second T, I guess. But well, Tanner Tyler I, I just, and Trent. True. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so Thornton wasn't as bad as the other two guys. Uh, he, he wasn't good by any stretch, but I just don't enjoy watching him pitch. Nibble, nibble, nibble. Three, two counts on everybody. It's just like, oh, my God. Like, just... <laughs> And he like for a guy who doesn't have great stuff, he walks way too many batters. At least Chatwood has the excuse that his balls move like crazy and it's tough to control it. So, yeah, not uh, <laughs> not fun to watch trends. Yeah, this is a frustration <laughs> level high. Um, favorite moment. So I will go first with my favorite moment. Now, this is another one of those where. Uh, someone comes to you after 162 games and goes, hey, what was your one favorite thing? And I go, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Guriel, uh, Lourdes Guriel Jr. hit a grand slam, one of many, which is just cool on its own. But uh, he hit it off Yusmero Petit in the eighth inning to tie a game, to come from 8-4 to tied. Uh, and his his reaction uh, alone probably made it my favorite moment. A favorite moment. Bat slam, uh, completely jacked. But also knowing that Guriel isn't really expecting or trying to hit home runs like uh, you know a Vlad Jr. or a Teoscar Hernandez is. He's he's he would love to, but it's a little bit unexpected. So all those things combined, I think, to make it my favorite moment. Uh, I'm sure that was memorable for you. But what else did you have, Josh? So mine is sort of a retroactive one, and it's for an unfortunate reason. Um, so I picked Bo Bichette's walk-off home run against the Yankees, which was in Dunedin. It was very early in the season. Second home run of the game. He hit it off of uh, Green. The reason I picked it is because it was the last game my mom ever went to, yeah. uh, and she got to see that. And so, you know, we, we didn't – it, it was something that when it was over with, like we were messaging back and forth and she was just so excited and it was just one of the last really good memories she had. So that kind of makes it stick for me. That'll probably stick with you for a lot longer than any of the rest of these, uh, these awards would, for sure. Yeah. Nick, had I known it was that significant a moment, I wouldn't have stuck <laughs> you with this. <laughs> Sorry. Follow yeah. up. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's, that's honestly, that's why baseball is more than just, grown men in tight pants and that's awesome but yeah for me um i didn't i didn't have any personally super significant moments this year but um the day that george springer hit a home run in the seventh inning to come back against the orioles 
And uh, it was the first game of the doubleheader, I think, in early September. For eleven um, ten, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that to me was uh, probably my favorite moment. I was listening on the radio and just kind of the heightened, the kind of the heightened experience of having to kind of hang on people's words as opposed to getting able to watch the game unfold on a TV. That made that much that moment so much more intense and then so much more rewarding when when Springer hit the the homer. And I think Springer was in a bit of a slump prior to that game, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah, people people were questioning whether or not he should have come off the DL, and you know, attributing a lot of his struggles to to injuries. I think at that point, but they weren't after that. No, it, that George Springer is back moment is a is a like a hundred and fifty million dollar moment <laughs> in yeah. the season. Yeah. Uh, do I have to call him like the hundred twenty five million dollar man next year when I'm making making these jokes? <laughs> his do we just do remaining salaries? I mean, Tanner yeah. Rourke's just a forty million or Tanner Rourke. Wow, Kenjin Ryu is the forty million dollar man. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it gets easier to take the uh, the rough times when the when the overall impact goes down. Um, I'm I'm gonna pull. The next moment, most surreal moment, which is from, I believe, the game immediately after Springer's homer. Am I getting that right? That's correct, yes. They, the Blue Jays, after winning 11-10 <laughs> on that crazy, you know, uh, Springer's back baby moment, they got no hit for six innings. Um, And then... Oh, you know what? It's flipped. The Springer game was the second game of the Spr- doubleheader. Springer was in this game. Okay. Yeah, First, this no, game. no, no. This, this no. was the second one. Really? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Ryu started the first one, didn't do, didn't go so great, and then they came back and they had to start Thomas Hatch in the second one. He did actually surprisingly well, but they were no hit through six. In because I remember we recorded a podcast between the two games. <laughs> yeah, and we had no idea what was coming. We were like, "Wow, I still don't know what happened." Before it was, it was still six plus innings, and it was already four one. <laughs> Blue Jays had scored four runs before Tampa record or before Baltimore recorded an out in the seventh, and the score was eleven to two at the end of the game. It just it made no sense to me at all. Even as I watched it, I was like, "It's still going." How? What? I okay, I'll take it. I'll take it every night. So uh, yeah, they set all kinds of records for a single inning for the Blue Jays in that game as well. So that blew my mind. Um, uh, Nick, what blew your mind? Uh, for me, it was just the Jays coming back to Toronto, you know, after so long away and seeing them play in Dunedin and in Buffalo, uh, to me, seeing them just back in Toronto at the Rogers Center. Uh, and then obviously all the, you know, the winning that transpired around that uh, made that for me the the most real moment. Yeah, I considered doing that for mine as well. We'll get to mine in a second. I just want to talk about this a bit more. Uh, I was at that game. I went there with my dad and that was just an unbelievable atmosphere. Yeah, there were 15,000 people, which is far cry from what it can what we would normally see, but everyone was just like you could feel the emotion in the stadium and you could see it on the field like, you know, Charlie Montoya crying at the video package and the players they mentioned that like it got to them and then they went out and had a great game and it was just just awesome. Yeah, I mean, 15,000 people, 15,000 hardcore, you know, Toronto baseball fans is a far cry from everything that had happened up to that point in the season. Um, and, and all that oh, atmosphere yeah. of, uh, as much as, you know, people make fun of the, the stadium, it is home for, for those players and for that team and for the broadcast booth and, and, you know, it, it's a place to settle in. Uh, so yeah, I think it's, it, it definitely was weird to be away for that long, considering most other teams had already had, you know, what's 60 games in or 50 or 60 games in their, in their home park. Um, no problem. 
Uh, but you yep. did have your own moment, Josh. Yeah, it was uh, <laughs> it was that game when they were playing the Tigers in Toronto, and I, w- I was in Vancouver at the time with with my wife, and uh, we were going up to visit our family in, in northern BC, and I was watching the game, and there were two outs, Jays are winning, ground ball to Semyon, and I just turned to her, and I was like, oh, she was talking, I was like, oh, okay, and I turned back, and like, the game was still going, and I didn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> oh no like i saw him field the ball so okay and then and then i look at the replay it's like i've never seen that I, i've been watching baseball forever i've never seen a, a game be extended on a play like that i've seen throwing errors i've seen people boot the ball but there's a 20-foot throw like <laughs> it was as routine as routine gets and a play that he'll probably never screw up again and somehow he did it in the worst possible time, and then they lost. And it was just like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, the polar surreal. opposite of, of what I had with Baltimore. Just yeah. does not compute. Um, all right, so biggest breakout. I think that... You know uh, 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 me? Yeah. Uh, obviously, you could uh, quantify this one, but why rely on mere numbers when we have our gut feelings? Um for me, it was Alec Manoa. I, I think everyone knew Alec Manoa was supposed to be good to great. Yeah, I mean, everyone was hoping he would be great. Um, but with so few innings under his belt as a professional, to come into the season uh, and have all of that swagger and then back it up with this incredibly high strikeout rate, incredibly low walk rate, and really, really great stuff start after start after start after start um you know when he wasn't hitting people and getting thrown out uh i was just i was thrilled and i it really stood out for me as one of those times where uh a prospect does does the immediate thing there is no there was no seasoning required yeah i mean so normally i try to differentiate breakouts from top rookies but in his case it really was a breakout because he came out of nowhere essentially i mean he was a top draft pick and he was a good prospect but no one nobody should have expected him to contribute that early and that and to that degree this year indeed um i think probably your pick josh has more expectation (laughs) layered in with it (laughs) Yeah, I've always thought because <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this is I mean, this is a breakout in the truest sense of the word, right? I mean, he'd been up in the league for a couple of years and he'd performed better than people think he did because the expectations on him were just ridiculous. But he'd been an above average hitter in the majors, but he jumped his WRC plus by 56 points for his previous season. <laughs> he went from a previous o- OPS high of 791 to 1002. He he just truly became, I mean, maybe even better than what everybody thought he would be. And <laughs> I don't think there's a bigger breakout, breakout across baseball than that, to be honest. Did he hit the second most home runs in a single season in Blue Jays history? He did, yes. Just quietly. That didn't even, you know... They didn't even register with everything else he did. So, yeah. Yeah, I, he, I, he broke it on the last day of the season. So I get you, but I'm still voting Alec Padilla. Nick, you're going to go off the board, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, and this was more of just, I fully acknowledge, Vlad did what he did. There's no bigger breakout than that. But just someone who, who did have, uh, I think, like a good season um, was... Alejandro Kirk. Uh, I know his overall numbers don't look amazing, but uh, even like 
the numbers he put up is above average for a catcher. His weighted runs created plus was 106. And uh, there was a lot of kind of bad luck in that too. Like if you look at his BABIP and like his expected Woba, like there's room for improvement. And this is a guy who was pacing for like an over 25 home run season uh, already. So I think, uh, I think Kirk, we didn't notice it as much because again, there's literally an MVP candidate breaking out on this, on the same team and a rookie of the year candidate in in Manoa. But Kirk had himself a, a good little, a good little season on the field when he was able to stay healthy. I think he's going to be my breakout pick next year. Well, well assume he's still in the blue Jays, which is by no means a lock, but I, I don't think he's there yet, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. Well, when, when I think I agree with Nick based on the fact that every time we've tried to give a catcher anything resembling everyday duties, they've literally fallen on their face. Uh, for Alejandro Kirk not to do that is just great. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> oh, oh, that Greg, Danny Jansen's last uh, last month of the season is going to hey, keep me we'll, warm all winter. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Oh, I didn't think we were going to talk about it. Uh, all right. <laughs> Biggest disappointment. Um, we'll, we'll double back. We'll start with you, Nick. Yeah. I, I just think, uh, the bullpen, I, I mean, if you think about the amount of players, not even just players, but kind of high impact potential arms that were either hurt or injured this year, it's just so disappointing to see the Jays lose as many games as they did with all those injuries like David Phelps, Kirby Yates, Ryan Baraki, Nate Pearson, Raphael Dolis, Tyler Chatwood, Julian Merriweather. If two or three of those guys stays healthy and pitches anywhere close to their potential, the Jays might be playing right now, I think. So that's, that's the biggest disappointment for me. Hey, that's a really awesome segue jo- uh, to Josh's point that the biggest disappointment is. Yeah. That they won 91 day- games and didn't get into the postseason. <laughs> What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> Who drew this supposed to happen? They finished fourth with 91 wins. <laughs> How? Stupid AL East. I was originally going to say Ryan Brucky because I had such high hopes for him, but I think that just wasn't my biggest disappointment. It was clearly this. Like how I don't understand how that occurred. I mean, I do, obviously. I'm not a – I understand sports, but it's like <laughs> logically I get it. Emotionally I don't. Yeah, well, I, I think it's the same that the wildcard team in the National League won 106 games this year. Yeah. The wildcard team. Sure. But the team uh, that's in the, going to the World Series won 88. So, of course. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> um, so, I, I I would vote here along the lines with you, Nick. Uh, but I've got more specific just to say, is it okay that I'm disappointed that David Phelps got injured when he, you know, got injured period and, and permanently when he did? Because... I think I just some relief pitchers kind of stick in your mind as guys who really, really bothered you when they were on the opposing team. And I remember Phelps, I believe, as a Yankee, and it really, really bothered. And I was like, oh, Mike, he's still good, and he plays for the Blue Jays, and he's gone. So yeah, uh, that killed me. I probably would be more he, disappointed in Kirby Yates if I'd ever seen him play. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. Like one of the things that really killed this bullpen is. Not so much that all those guys got hurt, but they all got hurt at the same time. Merriweather went down three games into the season. Romano, not farther, not much longer after that. And then Phelps, same thing. And Yates didn't even make it into the season. It was just like this great bullpen that they thought they'd built was in in shambles a month into the season, which was just crazy. And there were, there was an argument that they had built a bullpen full of guys with injury risk and, and then yeah. Im- immediately paid the price, which is not, it, that never happens to the Yankees, does it? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it kind of does with their hitters, but uh, that's the thing. It's like you expected those guys probably to all get hurt at some point, just not all at the same time. <laughs> or or for as long as they did. Like, yeah. you know, three of them were out most of the year in Pearson, Yates, and Phelps. Mary, Merriweather, too. Like, he barely pitched at all. Yeah, he missed five months with a, yeah. a oblique strain. Those obliques, they get you every time. Yeah. Rock bottom. Here we are into probably, I think, the... The most subjective non-listener category. <laughs> what is the bottom? <laughs> Who put all these rocks at it? Uh, Nick, what what sayeth you as to the moment that you said this is this is as bad as it can get here? Well, I think uh, on, it was the last day of the, of the regular season for me because it was looking good. It I think it was the sixth or seventh inning. The Jays were up big on Baltimore. Both the Red Sox and the Yankees were losing. And it was, you know, they were in the later stages of their games too. To have them both pull off comebacks on the last day of the season to keep the Jays out of the playoffs, that was, uh, you know, dizzying high and terrifying lows for me on that day. I mean, the Yankees were actually zero zero zero. Right, year, right. But yeah, yeah. Ugh. Oh, I mean, I was so I was at the game, the Jays game. Yeah. And they threw this the the Red Sox game up on the board because yeah, they, yeah, and then yeah. and then within like thirty seconds Devers hit the home run. It's just like oh come uh, on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I I feel on that last day I was kind of resigned to whatever was going to happen. I was not rock bottom there. And for me it was because uh, I kind of harken back to when all those bullpen problems got super magnified and the Jays just blew game after game in their last series in Dunedin against Tampa, right? Um, yep. mm -hmm. And they got swept out of their home park to never play there as a you know Major League Baseball team again. And I really felt, even though they ended up winning 91 games, I at that time, I was like, this sows the seeds for problems months from now, right? Either the constitution of this team needs to change or they need to somehow make up these games that were absolutely thrown away. Like, you can't get those four back. And you're at home. What the heck? Um, and, again, that's just an emotional response. But that's when I was just like, this team is just not going to have it. Um, and I, I almost looked like an idiot, which I was kind of hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> the winning run scored in the 18 or later in all four games, including two extra inning games. Yeah, like extra innings at home, and they couldn't even get the the runner from second to score uh, a couple of times. Yeah. It's like, oh guys, come on! Um, yeah. But that's not where you hit bottom, Josh. Every, everyone has a different bottom. I mean, I considered the one you just said. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, that was a strong strong contender. I went with uh, that stretch from August twelfth to twenty second. That started with uh, the loss to Seattle, where they had the runners on in the top of the inning and didn't score. Uh, with uh, the weird. Uh, they had like first and third and there was a pop-up and then the guy was called safe on the tag play, but then ruled overruled and then balls hitting the umpires and all this nonsense and they lost. And then they went to Washington and lost both to the nationals after Washington had traded literally everyone except one Soto. And then they came to, then they had the series against Detroit, which had the semi and throwing error. It's like, it, it, I just thought like, it can't get worse than this. <laughs> well, and it's especially, I guess, it's easy to focus back on that one because with the Nationals, the we knew the Red Sox were going to play the Nationals in the final weekend of the season. That was already on the schedule. So 
despite some people's complaining about it, which I thought was hilarious. Sorry, I just had to say that. <laughs> uh, it was a weird choice. It wasn't you know, a bad choice. But knowing that and knowing the Blue Jays had, had thrown away their two games against the Nationals, it was like, wow. So Boston really doesn't have to do anything in the same vein. They just have to win it. Like, they have to win the series. And they, they're doing... They're doing what you were supposed to do, and the Blue Jays didn't. So I think that kind of brought it back into focus because the Nationals came up at the end of the season. Yeah. We shall turn things over to our listeners, who uh, are both weird and wonderful. So the first one from uh, Brian Donnelly at Brian Donnelly 8 uh, is wonderful. He said, what is what was your most pleasant surprise this year? Nick, were you pleasantly surprised? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think Jordan Romano really kind of established himself as like a pretty elite reliever this year. Um, you know, he looks great last year in 2020 in, in the smaller season. But um, yeah, he he was just very good. And he they needed him so much because of all the other problems with the bullpen. So uh, that was a pleasant surprise to me because I didn't know if he was going to be able to translate what he did in the shortened 2020 into 2021. Well, I think the other thing that is interesting, and Josh and I have discussed this, is that there's two Jordan Romanos. There's pre-Sticky Stuff Jordan Romano and post-Sticky Stuff Jordan Romano. And apparently his decision was simply, the slider doesn't work like it used to. I'm going <laughs> to just throw harder. <laughs> and you can yeah. hit that. Yeah, I'm curious to know, Josh, your take as a pitcher. Because like in my mind, this is very general, but my thinking is, these guys are all elite athletes. They've been making adjustments and changing things their entire careers. Is this something that like with an off season to kind of prepare for this, they're going to look different next year and, and Jordan Romano might have a good slider again kind of thing. Well, I mean, he even sort of found it towards the end of the season this year. I think absolutely. Yes. Would be my answer to your question. Um, and obviously, like I said, it happened earlier with him. The, these guys, they know what they're doing, right? And it's just it's just when something gets sprung on them in the middle of a season, it's time it's hard to make adjustments of that magnitude while you're trying to win games. Because you don't really want to be tinkering with pitches during games because like that can go really really poorly as we've seen sometimes. <laughs> I do think it's tougher when you've had a when your stuff has been diminished already by age or or injury or whatever and so you you can't you don't have those natural gifts that you had before to fall back on. But still, I do agree with you. That these guys will all make the adjustment and it shouldn't be a huge issue going forward. Well, I, yeah, I, I think you make a legitimate point, Josh, is especially with a reliever. Jordan Romano might only have four times to throw the slider in an inning um, to figure out if he's got it or if it's going to do the right thing or not. And if one of those is hung, the game's over. So... I totally get the not experimenting live, whereas a starter may or may not be able to to make that adjustment with the larger sample size. Um, my most pleasant surprise, though, which is what the category is, uh, was Adam Simber and Trevor Richards. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised that the Blue Jays attempted a deadline acquisition. And again, not all of them worked, but that these two guys who they got for peanuts <laughs> did exactly what they were supposed to do, both of them. Um, I was thrilled and I like watching Submariners pitch too. So I, I, that was also, it was, it was nice to have one on the team. <laughs> Simber, I mean, Simber, the reason, one of the things that made him so good is he just throws strikes, which <laughs> some of the people he was replacing, <laughs> were just, it's like, I don't care what happens. This is just so refreshing. <laughs> 
I only felt bad for him when when the movement on the ball would cause the umpire to call a pitch right down the middle of ball because that happened to him a lot. Yeah, like three, four times. It was like, wait, that where was that? And and Simber's just like, yeah, that happens. I don't like it, but it happens. Uh, yeah. Who who did you uh, find yourself happy to to see rolling on the field? Santiago Espinal. <laughs> I mean. Third base was a black hole for the Blue Jays. Kevin Biggio had an awful season. I, I don't think anybody, even the most fervent Biggio supporters who think he'll bounce back, would disagree with what I just said. And then Kevin Smith was terrible. Bravik Valera was Bravik Valera, who does exist, apparently, just not good at existing in baseball. <laughs> he burned but all his energy all... just existing, Josh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> really... yeah, he did the important part, I guess. Yeah. But... But Espinal, he hit 311 with a 376 on base and a 405 slugging while playing elite level defense. Who yeah, I mean, knew? Yeah, I mean, I look, uh, we were going to get to another category later, Bonafide and Bonifacio. I didn't pick him, but he'd be Bonifacio, I think. But, <laughs> <laughs> but what he did, I think it was a huge part of them getting as far as they did. He really stabilized the position. I mean, you can't possibly have asked for more than that out of anybody they, they that they hope to play the position yeah I, oh, that I catch he made uh the barehanded over opening the day catch. or home, home opener <laughs> home opener yeah. yeah that's one of the, one of the defensive plays of the year for sure yeah that was awesome yeah when, when a guy shocks himself that's the best <laughs> oh, yeah, talk the about, you're talking about the surreal moment of that opening day <laughs> like that's how it ended <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Kevin at Kevin Chase Four asked us to rank the TV commentary crews, uh, the pairings of Buck and Tabby, Buck and Dan, and Dan and Tabby. Um, Josh. So I went with Buck and Dan. I actually considered Dan and Tabler because Tabler doesn't talk nearly as much when Dan is there, which is really <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, Buck still talks a ton. But Buck knows so much more about baseball than Tabler, so I still went with those two. Well, I, I I say there is only Dan and Buck in my book. I pretty much mute anything else. And and this is nothing personal against Pat Tabler. But um, Dan Schulman is an excellent play-by-play guy who makes it very clear what's going on. I can even listen to Dan when it's on the radio. We'll get to that later. Um, but yeah, the Tabler's parroting of whatever Buck is saying is just so counterproductive. It, kills me every single time so i have to leave it with dan and buck because buck martinez has a lot of baseball stories that's that's what i expect out of my color guy so i'm fine with that even <laughs> if they the don't make any sense yeah yeah that's kind of out of place <laughs> one thing that they lose though is the excitement level on home runs and on balls that don't end up being home runs it turns <laughs> out. But... <laughs> oh man you don't get that much out of dan you gonna get on the the hate train there, uh, Nick? No, I'm I'm the opposite. I love the commentators and the kind of like the biggest personalities, but not necessarily the best at their jobs. Um, I love Buck and Tabby. I think they're so much fun. They they yeah they're very easily excitable. I love all their little quirks, like you know uh, Tabby calling everyone big and strong. It, I I just. I feel like there's so much information out there about baseball now with everything, like with Twitter and but my all the problem, like, internet sites. Like, I just, it doesn't bother me when you have just two kind of like 
yeah, old but I, guys I, I, in there riffing and chewing the fat. I I get such a kick <laughs> out of it. It's just they make me they make me laugh. My favorite thing on a Jays broadcast is when Buck or Tabby has to introduce like junior hockey and he's talking about like a team from Owen Sound and he, he's never heard of any of this before. And he's like, that'll be a good game. <laughs> I, 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 I love Buck and Tabby. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, uh, my she, problem. Yeah, I just want to know the correct score, the right count, the person who's actually <laughs> yeah, a bat. Yeah. I mean, these are small yeah. details that I feel like if I'm not glued to the screen, I should be able to gather from the broadcast. And I have trouble when Buck and Tabby are on. Oh, you can find that information online. In See, my, my issue with the two of them isn't even that so much. It's that they will go on and on and on. And then Ta- Buck will, and then Tabber will say the same thing, but take four times as long to say it. And it's just yeah. Yeah. noise. Like it's, it's not it's not even entertaining noise. Like the stuff you're talking about, Nick, is actually enjoyable. But this stuff is just it's just boring. And I don't want boring on a broadcast. All right. We will agree to be in different corners there. Uh the most overlooked contribution. That is a suggestion from Turf Ferguson at Turferg. Um I think I got this one wrong, so I'll go first. Tim Meza. <laughs> um, I can put a question mark. I feel like Tim Meza, as um, as the, the key left-hander out of the bullpen, that used to be a big deal. Did you have a lefty who you could rely on um, to get you you know, through the eighth or whatever? Uh, Tim Meza did a great job all year. His numbers were fantastic. Uh, he didn't have, I don't think, any any super memorable meltdowns. Um, and he certainly cut his career walks uh, whip, which was around 1.3, 1.4, to below one. So he was doing something right. I don't know what it was. Shout out to Meza. Um, but like I said, that's the wrong answer. Uh, somebody want to give me the right answer? How about Nick? For me, it's Teoscar Hernandez, just because he had an amazing season and he was just playing on a team with you know, multiple MVP candidates that it kind of got overshadowed. He hit almost 300, you know, he had 30 home runs. He was a great hitter this year. And just, he kind of got lost in the shuffle of, you know, hitting in a lineup with Vlad and Marcus Semien and, and Bo and George Springer. And keep going. <laughs> just, yeah. Right. And Lourdes Gurriel. Well, Jr. Yeah, yeah, I think the Guriel Jr. thing is uh, when Guriel was on fire in September, Teoscar was hitting really well too, but it didn't matter because Guriel and Semyon were otherworldly. <laughs> so I think that's actually a really good answer. <clears throat> uh, but we are, we're going to press you for a different answer just because that's what we do every time here. <laughs> yeah, I went with the catching trio. Uh, I, I don't count Riley Adams because you know, the fourth string catcher, if he hits at all, it's like something is crazy. <clears throat> But the Jays' catchers, the three of them, three-headed monster of Jansen, Kirk, and McGuire as a whole, had a 727 OPS. And that's just incredible production from your catchers when you don't have a guy like Buster Posey or or whoever, like a guy who's who's just going to carry the load. And they didn't. They, They had 70 games from Jansen, 60 from Kirk, and 78 for McGuire. Now, that doesn't add to 162 because some of them played in the same game. But they just all – McGuire carried the load in the beginning when the other two guys were hurt. And then when they came back, you talked about Kirk earlier, Nick, and then Jansen. Jan- Jansen was the team's best hitter in September, in August and September. He had a 1.065 OPS. On the season, he had more extra base hits than non-extra base hits. He actually had a really 
solid season and with his normal good defense. And I think that those guys not being black holes in the lineup for the first time in a couple of years really helped the offense. They did, however, and, ruin our feature, uh, you know, not an automatic out. Yeah, he definitely as <laughs> close to the opposite as anybody on the team. Yeah. No, and I just friendly reminder to Danny Jansen's still only 26. Like uh, is, this could be the beginning of him figuring it out. Um, and I know that's probably going to make a lot of people annoyed to hear me say that for it's 2021. I've probably been saying that since 2019, but he's still young. I'll, I'll hold my judgment out on how young he is. Um, best celebration, L at Ellie Yelly Hart. Uh, wanted to know what we thought the best celebration was. Josh, what, what do you got? Yeah, it was actually alluded to earlier in the in the show. I think it was Nick who mentioned me. it. No, it was or? me. It was okay. the time. It was you, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, again, I was at this game. I've been at some, at some good ones. But <laughs> <laughs> that, that comeback against Oakland, when Lourdes hit the grand slam and just the pure excitement when he slammed his bat down on the ground and, and he was just jumping around the bases and the whole stadium was just losing their minds. It was just a really, really cool moment. Um, I would have to say my, my favorite celebration, I, the home run jacket itself was a great sort of uh, idea and homage to the international nature of the team, which I think the Blue Jays probably bring up a lot more than other teams with being in Canada. Maybe that's the first thing that the people think of. But when a starting pitcher was awarded the home run jacket, it felt like like a Lion King moment of, of you know, we're going to hold you up and let you do would touch the forbidden jacket because you have done so well. You crossed over into our territory. I thought that was a really neat gesture. Yeah, that was my second pick. <laughs> I, sorry, I just read your answer, to it, Nick, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I just like well, loved watching the Jays dance uh, in the dugout. Uh, it didn't matter really what happened, uh, even if they weren't celebrating. They're so good. I don't know if you either of you have ever been to yoga and people talk about activating your hips. And I never really <laughs> understood what that meant because they don't it's not like moving your knee or something. Right. Like so. But then I'd like watch like Vlad dance. I'm like, oh, that guy has activated his hips. Like <laughs> I get what they mean now. So I, I just love watching that because they're just having so much fun. And like you said earlier, Greg, it's like they're doing it for themselves. They're like not doing it for an audience. Yeah, except for Teoscar <laughs> Hernandez, who is constantly aware of which camera's on and where it is in the dugout. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> The melt wow that is that a word the meltdowningest relief pitcher again from uh, Turf Ferguson the melt why, why do people want us to relive this horror <laughs> this is a valid it's a very question fair question we give the people what they want Nick we ask not why um, you can go first on that one yeah for me uh, a point of incredible frustration was I believe it was in mid June in Boston the Jays were going into the eighth up three runs and uh, Rafael Dolis came in and immediately surrendered three runs and the Jays lost that game. Uh, and I think if I'm not mistaken, he did something similar again in that series, either like the day before or the day later. And so for me, that was kind of the moment that I was like, ah, oh, the, the magic pixie dust is fallen off Rafael Dolis from 2020. He was just dreadful against Boston. I think he blew three games against them. Yeah. Yeah, it was brutal. 
Yeah, we are reliving the painful bits where one of those games would have given the... Anyway, um, yeah, Josh, meltdowning his relief pitcher. I mean, we all went on Tyler Chatwood's <laughs> wild, wild ride. <laughs> yes. I, my I knuckles mean, white. <laughs> I mean, so, for example, like the, Do, the Dolis one, where you give the three-run homer to J.D. Martinez, it was bloop single, bloop single, bomb. Not really a meltdown in the sense of the true sense of the word. It's a horrible blown save, but he didn't really melt down. He threw one bad pitch. Tyler Chatwood had a habit of throwing 15 bad pitches in and out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Had, it's just, it's just never ahead. fun watching guys walk people like that when they can't control. Oh, yeah. it's, it's excruciating. Obviously, the ultimate meltdown is that game against Cleveland where he walked four in a row. In with a, in a one run game, which is you know it's kind of bad. And then the next game, he gave up five runs without getting an out, and two games before that, four runs without with only giving two outs. And there was a game against Boston where she didn't give up runs, but he gave up all the inherited runs because he couldn't because he hit a he walked a guy and hit two batters and threw a wild pitch. It's just just pure meltdown. <laughs> and his his consistent I got this attitude through the whole thing is what made me agree with you Josh. The uh the why are you coming to get the ball from me? It's cuz you don't even know where the, you you left it. Like it's a miracle you the, the umpire even returned it to you. Uh yeah. So two votes for Tyler Chatwood. So I think it's the first time we've had a clear winner in a category from the from the fans as it were. Um long-time listener minor leaguer at minor leaguer wants to know, and this is a super topical question. Who is the best chairman of the blue Jays of the year? Um, for those of you who have been living in a cave and not paying attention to Rogers news, um, the board of directors is having a little bit of confusion over exactly who's in charge of it and who is president and, uh, who is running the company right now? Because, Actually, I don't know why, but but just that's what's happening. So uh, while we await the actual decision in a legal sense, who is your nomination, Nick, for the best chairman of the Blue Jays of the year? I Jose Batista. I, I've, <laughs> yeah. We don't need like a real life version of Succession. We that's that's <laughs> no. Yeah. We just throw him out. I mean, I'm sure he'd yeah. be happy to do that. Oh yeah, he. I feel like he seems like he's interested in business or is kind of like business savvy. I, I yeah. get. I've always got that impression from him. Yeah, he was a real estate uh, guy when he was still a player, and he has. I mean, he, he he owns a booster juice somewhere. Josh, who do you pick for best chairman of the Blue Jays of the year? Well, I jokingly said Martha Rogers because right now she's just really entertaining with her Twitter, just roasting Eddie over and over and over again. It is really just kind of sad watching this play out but at least that's entertaining and you know eventually it's all going to be horrible but at least we can laugh at some of it along the way full disclosure i am one of the twenty-six thousand people who works for this company so my yeah. answer is tbd good answer very safe <laughs> greg let's let's get you in the big chair greg i'd trust you yeah yeah you got I my mean, vote i'm i'm all ready to make baseball decisions anybody just they have my number. They even have my email. Um, we'll get you a walking desk next to Mark Shapiro's. It'll be great. <laughs> a walking desk. Does that, do you have to belt that around your waist? Is that how a walking desk works? <laughs> oh, I wish I knew. Moving on. Most pivotal, pivotal swing. Again, Turf Ferguson brings us the interesting categories. Uh, I could not recall one swing that, that the season turned upon, but you guys had some answers. 
Um, Nick. Yeah, I, I said, you know, the Gurriel Grand Slam maybe to to tie the game in Oakland in the eighth. Um, that, that was a big one. But, you know, there's there's so many. This team hit a lot of home runs. <laughs> I think that's a good one because that started their winning streak, that game. Yeah. Yeah, against against the team that was ahead of them as well, right? Yeah. They, they started the, the winning streak at the exact right time to make it as exciting mm-hmm. as possible. Um, the, the funny thing about this too is we always we've been talking so much about the Gurriel Grand Slam. Yeah, Marcus Semien hit a home run to win the game because yeah. Oakland scored in the ninth. And <laughs> yeah, they were going to give a two-run homer. <laughs> yeah, and Semien hit a three-run homer in the bottom of the ninth to to actually win the game. It's been a, it was a weird season. I'm not saying it wasn't a weird <laughs> yeah. season. Um, so Josh, you were not going to pick that uh, Semien homer, are you? For most pivotal swing, just to be contrarian, I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I, I was jokingly going to pick the foul ball that Kirk hit in that inning with the, the, the Gurriel Grand Slam <laughs> because it went just foul. They drew the walk. They got brought Gurriel to the plate. Uh, and I just I just want to shout out the crowd for cheering on that foul ball, even though it was a blowout game still at that point, which was awesome. But no, I went with Bo's homer off of Clay Holmes in, uh, in the penultimate series against the Yankees, the game that they ended up winning. That'd be most pivotal. Like if, that was the season was on, you know, they had to win that game and the next one, it turned out they didn't win the next one, but so that swing kept them in it. So that's why I'm worth right. Also uh, where he was, when he admitted he was trying to hit a home run, which is just awesome. Yeah. That's, that's the, 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 uh, the peak inside is the best part. Um, so I'm, I probably did not answer this, this returning category the way you guys answered the, the category. So it was uh, Bonafide or Bonifacio. Um, Bonafide or Bonifacio. Um, yeah. So I I was thinking of in terms of this season, who who uh, who was the real deal and who was not. So my nominees were uh, Bonafide, Robbie Ray, who, uh, you know, had a lot of promise and fulfilled it. And then uh, Bonifacio was Rafael Dolis, who had a lot of promise from 2020 and uh, filled his boots with something. Um, Greg, Greg took the cowardly route where there's there's no predictive aspect to this. This is just looking at what happened. <laughs> and, and you, gentlemen, you, Nick, uh, what saith ye about next year's uh, Bonafide and Bonifacios uh, on, if they are still indeed on this roster? Right. Well, to, to be honest... I just took Josh's answers, which, <laughs> you, uh, which you I, wanna, I agree you with. You want to copy I do from someone with. with high grades. Is that what yeah. you're trying to do? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, well, I, because of the Jays, you know, they do have a lot of players, though, that have established themselves and have been established. You know, like guys like Tay Oscar and, and Bo, like this wasn't we don't I think we know enough about players like that to know they are going to be good next year. Right. Um, whereas. Yep. Josh, you take away. You 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 give your answers. Well, I'll I'll do I'll do the the bonafide. You can do the Bonifacio. How about that? Yeah, for sure. So I bonafide. I did Alec Manoa. I think that he's real. I think that what we saw. I don't think he's going to regress. The pitch mix is good, and I think actually he'll get even better as he develops more of his changeup. He's just his his demeanor on the mound, his work ethic, and I, everything about him just screams real. So. Yeah, and so for the Bonifacio side of things, uh, Josh picked, and I agree, Robbie Ray. And that's not to say I don't think he's going to be a, a good pitcher next year. But, nope. you know, Robbie Ray was doing some 
pretty incredible things this year. And it's just hard for anyone to, uh, to repeat these kinds of things. He, I think he must've had a, if not a career high, but close to a, a career high in innings pitched, um, you know, he crushed it. Yeah. Uh, you know, his strikeout rate was up over 30%. His walk rate was lower, uh, than it has been often in his career. It's just going to be hard. Like for him to, you know, post a sub three ERA again, not saying he's going to be bad. And then, you know, I know some people and Josh and Greg, I'm curious to know your thoughts. I've heard some people flag that he's a two pitch guy um, and how that ages. And I know there were some starts late in the year where I think it was a Yankee start where they're just, they decided they weren't going to swing at the slider um, and they were able, you know, to score a few runs off him. I don't know how big a problem that is going forward, but I know some people seem to be a bit concerned about it. Um, I think that it matters, but I don't think it's matters a lot. If their two pitches are as good as his are. Um, now I do think that it can create the same kind of problem that he had though, where he had extreme third time through the order penalties where I, I, I'm going to pull it up just because he, uh, he was dominant in, in you know, the, the first a couple times for the order. I'm just, here we go. Yeah. OPS of 596 the first time, 550 the second time, and 930 the third time. So I think that part of that, and gave up 13 home runs the third time through the order. I do think the two-pitch thing comes into play a bit there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, 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 like, I'm with you. I, like, I was happy that Robbie Ray was coming back before the season. You can go back and listen to our podcast. I'm on record as being bullish about that signing i just didn't expect this and i don't expect this ever again (laughs) if he doesn't good for him but i mean he cut his walk rate his career best walk rate was 9.1 percent and he was at 6.9 so and again as you mentioned he threw he beat his career high in innings by almost 20 so I just uh, I think it's an odd coincidence that I'm willing to bet on that uh, Cliff Lee, I believe, was the same age when he dropped his rock walk rate precipitously and his strikeout rate went up. Um, I think it is possible for a guy to find it, um, you know, a la you know Randy Johnson or or uh, even um, CC Sabathia uh, in a particular year and carry it forward. And I I mean I would love to bet on Robbie Ray. I think because it's a happier story either way. So. Uh, I'm betting against you. We shall see. Yeah, that's all good. Best worst first impression. Um, I will go. <laughs> we, should, we should we should just all say the worst one together. If there were not a de- <laughs> if there was not a delay on on how this podcast is recorded because you're both remote to me, it would sound really cool when we all said it. But I have no way of timing that up. So I'll go with my my best. First impression, and we can all do the best, and then we'll we'll try and do the, the worst together. Julian Mather- Merriweather, after a very very long injury riddled wait, what seemed like three years, which I'm I'm sure it wasn't, actually debuted for the Blue Jays and looked like eighth inning slash closer material for what five innings, five point one, and then he got hurt. He debuted last year, but yeah. But I, I felt like the first impression this year was, wow, is this really the Julian Merriweather we can expect? And then and it was from the beginning of the season, too. And he had that near immaculate inning against the Yankees to win the game. And Yeah. Yeah. I was super impressed. And so if you're just confining it to first impression. Yeah, I was. That was my best. What was your best, Josh? 
Yeah, so uh, I went with Stephen Matz. Uh, I'd actually, I, again, like I, I'm not going to just tout the things I got right. I got this one wrong. I was not totally in favor of that signing. I thought Matz was fine. I just was hoping that they would aim for someone a little better. Turns out Matt did Matt is exactly what I was hoping they would get. So, but especially his first three starts, where he went, he threw 18 innings and he gave up one run in each of the three games. So three runs over 18 and a third, and I just I'd never really seen Matt's, and so it was a great like, oh, this is what he can do. Okay, well maybe I was completely wrong. And then he had a horrible stretch, and then he was great again at the end. I, I think Stephen Matz was just so happy to not be on the Mets for the first month that it just bled on through. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a stat that uh, I think it was minor leaguer put out there that he's had more innings or faced more batters with the lead with the Blue Jays than he did his entire time with the Mets. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> who, who was the happiest to say hello for you, Nick? Uh, for me, I picked uh, Jose uh, Barrios because his first two starts in, in Toronto were a part of that big Jays win streak. And I think he only surrendered like one run in in like 12 innings. Um, and yeah, he he gave the Jays some stability in the starting rotation, which is extra important when your bullpen looked like Toronto's did this year. So I thought, yeah, Barrios, he... He looks great right off uh, right off the jump for the team, and it, it kind of helped them get back into the race. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. So uh, at the risk of uh, getting all garbled, on three, give me your worst first impression. One, two, three. Brad, Brad Hands. <laughs> we didn't do that well at all. No, I don't think so. We'll see how it comes well out Brad in the Hand mix. pitched. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> grand opening, grand closing. That's Brad Hand. <laughs> Uh, what was his first outing, Josh? I'm sure you you remember it better than I do. The first outing wasn't horrible. No, oh, so it was he, his second impression. Yeah, he pitched in that uh, in the in the opener home opener. He came in, he gave up a couple hits and an unearned run. Uh, it was not great, but it wasn't good. It, no, no, it was. Yeah. I said it wasn't horrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's as good as Brad Hand got. Was so that was his first one where he gave up a run. It was unearned, but. Like he didn't pitch well. It was very clear he was struggling. And then in his second outing, he gave up three runs, including the Jose Ramirez home run in the extra innings. And then it just kept getting worse. You know what's wild is his ERA on the season across like his time with the Nats, Jays, and, and Mets, under four, which is it's nuts. All I, I know I, is he I, managed I, to screw us over as a member of the Mets as well. So don't, don't yeah. give him yeah. too many outs. Is, his ERA with the Blue Jays was 7.27. <laughs> and that includes three unearned runs, which home runs followed some of those. So it's like unearned. Yeah, okay, you still gave them up. Like take it up 10 runs in eight and two thirds. All right, we have uh, exhausted the suggested categories. We are on to the final definitive quantitative, uh, no doubt about it, final categories. And uh, we've talked a lot in these first bunch of categories so i don't think we have a lot of disagreements here as we go into the finals uh because some of them are really obvious so final category um hitter of the year josh tell us the hitter of the year because we're not going to disagree with you at this point marcus Semien. <laughs> Of course it's Vlad. <laughs> yeah. It's Vlad Jr. There's, there's no discussion here required. I, it, you know, we, we talked about his numbers a bit earlier, but 
I'll add to them, 48 home runs, 123 runs, 186 walks to 110 strikeouts with a 311 batting average, 401 on base, 601 slug. He was arguably the best hitter in baseball. So the idea that he could not be the best hitter on the Blue Jays is just <laughs> silly. It's a bit strange. We are not doing dollars per war calculation. And even then, he'd win. Um, worst hitter. I'm going to get this off my chest. Uh, from a purely mathematical perspective, Riley Adams showed up just long enough to register a minus 11 WRC plus. And then he That's turned out to be... Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty bad for the Blue Jays. He struck out in 40% of his plate appearances, which also not good. Uh, next nominee, gentlemen. Then he raked with the Nationals. Yeah, don't course, tell me. But... Don't, <laughs> don't remind me. Uh, Josh, you must have a candidate for worst hitter. Yeah, let's get rowdy. <laughs> and he then he went on did and, well after they were traded. Yeah, but, he raked with the Brewers. <sighs> yeah, uh, I mean, but tell us, he had a very good stretch last year. He's had good stretches before, and he put up his worst numbers with the Blue Jays this year. He he hit 209 with a 272 on base and a 338 slugging. He struck out 33 times in 150 plate appearances, which isn't that bad, but he just did no damage. Pop-ups, weak rollers. Uh, he just looked completely lost. Joe Panic out hit him. I don't think we need to say much more. <laughs> that Nick. was this year. Wow. That, yeah, yeah. Had Joe Panic this year. <laughs> that feels like eons ago. Uh, they had Joe Panic. They had Tanner Roark. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, did you have a nominee, Nick? Uh, not really. I mean, you can just say whoever was playing third base for the Jays. But, like, the thing I wanted to just kind of talk on here was the Jays were just such a good offensive team this year. They had like, they, I think they finished the year with like two or three guys on the active roster with uh weighted runs created plus below a hundred. Like they were a very good hitting team. And one of them was Gerard Dyson, who was <laughs> yeah. there just to pinch run. Well, I mean, there was, there were times where they were putting out lineups where everybody had no PS over 700 and where the first seven guys had no PS over 800. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, they're probably good enough to win 91 games. <laughs> uh, but not 92. Uh, nominees for Pitcher of the Year. Again, if, if we could somehow actually coordinate when we said things, we would all just say Robbie Ray and get over get it over with. Because how can the, the presumptive Cy Young candidate not be the Pitcher of the Year for the Blue Jays? <laughs> I, I will only add briefly that I would give Jordan Romano an honorable mention because he was the one consistent thing out of the bullpen all year long that you felt like you knew what you were getting when Jordan Romano came into the game. And it was a good thing. Totally fair. The worst pitcher. Well, now Josh. Yeah. Brad hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't think I have to go into why. I think we just did it well. I gave an honorable mention here to Tanner Rourke, who was just, oh, just so bad. Rourke gave up, is it four home runs in, you know, only only three home runs in seven innings, but he gave up seven runs. Ugh, ugh, just terrible. And then they caught him up for three starts, which was just great. Oh, no, one uh, start, three outings. Yeah. Moving to the bullpen where he's also useless first. But Brad Hand. I'm I'm going to submit uh, consideration for Tyler Chatwood just because Hand and Roark both pitched under 10 innings. Chatwood pitched almost 30 innings. Totally well, fair. But 15 I mean, of those I innings were probably really good. 
<laughs> Anthony K on the same level, but he was an emergency starter. Chat was a great call. Yeah, I I I picked Chatwood because he fell off the cliff because it looked like it was going to be okay, and then it was definitely not okay. So that was the worst for me, the worst pitching experience. Well, he, just quickly, Tanner or, or Tyler Chatwood, up until May twenty first, he had an ERA of point five three. He given up one run in seventeen innings. From that point on, he gave up the four runs against Tampa until he was traded. His ERA was thirteen point oh nine. Like, how? I, that doesn't even make sense, frankly. Like, uh, I, so we'll, I, give that, we'll give that award to Chatwood. I'll, I'll yeah. concede that one. Okay, it's <laughs> gonna hand over Brett. <laughs> gonna hand over the award. Ah, um, all right. Which takes us to the final. And again, I would do the big drum roll. I would look for some kind of um, kind of sound effect, but. I think everybody knows what we're gonna we're gonna name is the MVP here, and it's not Hyunjin Ryu. Josh, <laughs> who is our MVP of the Blue Jays? I'm not even gonna joke this time. It's Vlad. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are your thoughts, Nick, on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. MVP? Yeah, I mean, like simply put, he'd be the MVP of the American League if Shohei Otani wasn't uh, healthy and playing this year. So, I mean, yeah, it's a pretty open and shut case he was the best hitter in the league um i'm not sure about how like juan soto looked in the national league but he might have been the best hitter in baseball this year uh yeah he he's by far the the most valuable player it's yeah there's nothing more to say really i don't think is it we missing something no no we're just missing the do-over of the year so I'm going to play this one last time unofficially for the 2021 season. Oops. I said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> but what if you could do it all over again? But what I really meant was... I thought about this and I have made the call here. There's there's no multiple votes. Uh, it's the, the right call. Yeah. <laughs> the do-over <laughs> of the year is simulcasting your TV broadcast on the radio and it's defending it as being fine for like what was it six weeks and i and it's like it was buck and tabler and for all the things you like about them nick those are the things that make them horrible on the radio i remember i was driving just to the store just to pick something up my wife needed something or i needed something i don't remember and i i would drove from my house to the store which takes three minutes I had no point did I have any idea what the count was or the score. <laughs> That's them. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Which again, you they would were, like to look up on the internet. About minor leaguers yeah. and things like and, and player development for <laughs> seven or eight pitches. <laughs> and I had no idea what was happening. Oh yeah, it was to the point where uh it, you know, you'd ask people on Twitter how it was going and people would be like, could someone please tell me what's going on in the game? I'm on the radio and I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know who's batting. We're, I'm lost. What is there a game? It's, yeah. <laughs> Which is all well and fine to do it. Um, but it, it's clear Buck got no instructions as to change anything when he was on the radio. Um, he might not have even known he was doing the radio. Fifty-fifty <laughs> <laughs> chance. And then I think that the idea that, oh, it's fine, you know, it's 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 good, it's all good. And then the immediate moment when they had the home studio restored and they put Ben Wagner on in a heartbeat told me that they were completely full of it the whole time they said it was fine. 
And here's why it's the ultimate do-over. Ben Wagner was in the stadiums doing TV color for some reason, or like the TV studio guy, the, the field reporter. Just put him in a different booth and have him do the radio by himself like he did when they got back. I don't understand why they didn't do that. <laughs> so, yeah, our do-over, pretty obvious. Uh, radio broadcast have to be radio broadcast. TV broadcast is the TV broadcast. And never the twain shall meet. <laughs> Simple. Well, boys, uh, we're a little over time, but I think people will appreciate it uh, as much as they appreciate that uh, you have been uh, Nick Dyka at Nick Dyka and Josh Hatsum at Joshua Hatsum. And I have been uh, Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010. And this this has been the year end wrap up episode number 223 of Artificial Turf Wars. And we'll talk at you in a couple of weeks.